What's up? My name is Matthew Spazzitti, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti program. Where we talk about financial freedom and economics, and sometimes we talk about politics. Okay, I say sometimes. Recently, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about politics, and most of that's largely just because of all the, the election garbage and just everything that's been going on recently. And, you know, I just thought it it would be fun to kind of weigh in on the subject and stuff like that. But today, you know, we're not really going to talk about politics so much. You know, I'm a little, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little politicked out. For the most part, I'm just, I'm sick and tired of hearing whether Biden won or Trump won. And and no, Biden has not technically won. Points for the Electoral College have not been, you know, appointed quite just yet, so... Therefore, no one has really won at this moment. You know, I still think that Biden has a better chance of winning now that, than Trump does, given all that's being uh, occurred and whatnot. But regardless of that, you know, I don't really want to uh, get into all, all that stuff again. You know, I really just wanted to... There's a really great article that just got posted on the Mises Institute at Mises.org, and it's really, really great. And I thought it would be really great and interesting to, to just read it for you guys. But hey, before we do that, If you are new to the channel, this is the first time you're coming here. First and foremost, I want to say welcome. I'm super happy and I I really appreciate you guys spending your time with me. I mean, I know you guys got busy lives and everything, so it's it's pretty cool that you're here. But uh, I want to ask you guys to take the 10 episode challenge. If you haven't done so already, please go back and listen to the last 10 episodes of the show. And the main reason I ask you to do this is just I I feel like there's a lot of value back there. And I think you're going to get the most value out of the podcast if you guys go and do that. And I'm going to be referencing stuff that I talked about in the past in past episodes that ultimately you're just not going to get if you don't go and listen to the last 10 episodes. So if you're new to the show, you like what I'm doing here, then go listen to the last 10 episodes. You'll get a lot more value out of the show. If you want to do more than 10 episodes, then hey, you know, scroll back in the archives. We're only in the episode, the 60s range right now. So you guys got time. You can binge listen if, if you are just really loving this podcast and whatnot. And, and yeah, so hey, more, more power to you. And last but not least, if you guys like the show, then please go leave me a rating and review on iTunes. Ladies and gentlemen, that is one of the number one ways that you guys can help me is ultimately getting out there and leaving me that rating and review. It's really, really helpful. It helps me get on the map with regards to the rankings and everything. So please make sure to do that if, you, if you're liking the show. All right. So, well, first and foremost, before we get into this, I only have one article that I want to read from today, but before I get into this, I'm I'm kind of, um, I want to give you guys a bit of an update of what I'm looking into, what I'm kind of doing. So I had this idea the other day. Well, first and foremost, something that I'm into right now with regards to recent market activity is I'm really looking to get involved in Bitcoin. And I really, really want to find a great way to do that. I know a fair amount about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. I understand Ledger system fairly well. And I understand ultimately, you know, the risks and, and things that are associated with it. And I would really, really, really like to get involved. Uh, the only problem is, is that the more and more I look at the charts, you know, Bitcoin currently is sitting at 17,283. Now that is coming to you from TradingView. I'm actually looking at, I always use TradingView for my charts and everything. 
It's really great. If you guys do not understand how to read charts, you really, really, really need to, to learn that. I mean, chart reading is one of the best things that you guys can do for yourself. It's a very, very valuable skill. And it will teach you guys how you can understand the markets and it will just ultimately, I mean, if you have investments, if you're involved in the markets in any which way, shape or form, whether it's cryptocurrency stocks, you know, bonds, whatever, whatever you're involved in, it's really, really a good idea to get involved and to understand how to read the charts. So I would highly recommend that if you don't know how to do that, go do it. If you want to check out uh, TradingView, I'll put a link in the show notes below. It will be an affiliate link. So if you're interested in checking out TradingView, they're absolutely great. I use them all the time. Literally, I got it on my phone. I got it on my desktop. I love TradingView. They're one of the best charting platforms out there. It's really, really, really good. So if you guys need a good charting platform, as long as you got internet access, TradingView is the way to go. So that said, ladies and gentlemen, but I really want to get involved in Bitcoin. So I'm trying to do some a lot of research as to what are the best exchanges that are out there. Should I go with centralized or should I go with decentralized? Uh, most people would probably recommend not decentralized, considering the fact that I'm I'm relatively new to the space. So I don't know. And I'm also trying to figure out what wallet to go with. And then there's like a freaking million and one wallets out there. Let me tell my gosh, there's so many exchanges and so many wallets. I don't know what to go with. I mean, the biggest issue that I have with all of this stuff is that it's so new. I mean, Bitcoin has only really, according to TradingView, it's only really started being traded publicly around 2013, or at least that's when they started transmitting data. But it's just, it's absolutely insanity how much stuff is out there. So anyways, all that said, I'm trying to figure out how can I get involved in Bitcoin? You know, right now, Bitcoin's sitting at, at, at over $17,000 a coin, and I really want to get involved. Here's the thing. Do I would not get involved right this minute because I think we're coming up against a very, very large resistance level. Now, you guys can't see here on the charts because, well, this is audio, but Bitcoin peaked at about $19,893 in December 2017, okay? You don't actually need to see the charts. If you want to, go to TradingView, type, out, type in BTC USD in the search bar once you get there, and you will see the chart, and, and just scroll out to like the monthly chart or, or the weekly or whatnot. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about, but you don't actually need to see this in order to understand what I'm about to say. So, I think there it's coming up against this major resistance level, which is like around 19,000. I, I actually thought that the resistance level would be 17,000. So far, it's, it's kind of blowing through that resistance level. So we'll have to see what's going on. I do not, we've had such a run up, literally from the lows. The lows were 4,033, and that was in March, March 1st, 2020, okay? And we have been running up ever since then. And now we're, like I said, we're at over $17,000 a coin. The thing is, it's becoming very, very heated. And I think momentum is, there's a possibility that when you typically see these really big jumps in prices, usually there's quite a large decline. And if there's like another lockdown, if there's other stuff, there may be, a, you know, next year, we could very well see a decline come set in for next year, okay? Now, this is a very, very long time horizon, right? You know, months and months. I'm not making like hourly or daily trades. So I'm looking to get involved because what I'm doing is I'm thinking Bitcoin, is, it, it's going to come down. You know, this is just how charts work. This is just how technical analysis works. This is how markets work. They go up for a time and then they come down for a time. 
right? Do they go up until all the people who have bought are done buying? And then people start to say, ah, well, we're not going up as much. Oh, we're not having this massive, strong rise in, in value. Oh, you know, things are starting to kind of go sideways a bit. And everyone starts to short the market. And then the market tanks, right? People start to sell off. Maybe there's a bad news item, some catalyst, some black swan event. You know, you never really know. You never really know what exactly is going to cause it, but this is usually how it happens. So anyways, that being said, I'm looking to get involved in Bitcoin, but I want to wait till the market kind of, uh, you know, more or less falls because right now I'm just not seeing good opportunity. If if I'm buying now, I very well might be buying at the top. Now, granted, yes, Bitcoin could rise to 19,000. In the meantime, I have no idea before it actually falls. It could literally retest its highs. It is already kind of, it's getting close to there. I mean, it's only short by like about $2,000. I mean, right? It's not that far from actually getting up there. So, and retesting those highs. So will it continue to go all the way up to 19,000 before it falls? I don't know. I really don't know. What I do know is that I think it's going to continue higher and, uh, you know, at some point and with all the money printing and the inflation that's coming around, I, I, I think it's absolutely a possibility. Okay. So that's enough about Bitcoin. If you guys know of, if you guys ha- have any kind of recommendations with regards to exchanges, if you guys are in Bitcoin, then please let me know, hit me up at, let's see, I'm trying to think of where, where you guys can hit me up at best. There's a lot of places you can hit me up at. You could go to locals.com. You can uh, follow me there. And if you want to, you can just message me or you can just post something in the newsfeed, which by the way, for those of you guys who have done that, first and foremost, I want to say thank you. I mean, that's really great that you guys are there. And if you guys do decide to join, you know, you know, say hi, tell me what you're interested in, in terms of becoming financially free and all that kind of stuff. And uh, don't be shy, introduce yourself. All right. That said, you know, if you want to message me and you got it, maybe you're using a type of wallet, maybe you're using a type of uh, Bitcoin brokerage services or an exchange or, or, or whatever, go ahead and email me. My email is Matthew at newmillenniumwealth.com. I will put it in the description, the show notes page below. And that is a direct contact straight to me and everything. So if you guys have any kind of recommendations, if you guys know that that stuff, then hey, go, go, go ahead and go do that. That said though, there's, there's something I've been thinking about doing recently. Uh, first and foremost, I want to create a group where you got, where we can gather a whole bunch of people who are interested in trading, investing, personal finances, becoming financially free, starting their own, maybe a podcast, starting their own websites. I want to create basically a hub of, of everything I'm interested in, right? Maybe even economics and, and, and whatnot. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at Discord. If you guys don't know, Discord was originally created for video gaming. You know, it's a way for people to ultimately, you know, play video games together and talk to each other, you know, via headsets and stuff like that. But now it's really being used as a, as a community organizer. I mean, you basically can start your own server and you can basically, you know, kind of create different categories for conversation. You guys can get on, you can talk to each other via mic and things like that, or you can literally just have chat conversations and stuff with regards to different topics. You know, I'm, I'm part of a couple different Discord channels right now, and they're really, really cool. I absolutely love them. So I was thinking I would really like to put something together like that, but I don't know if I'd want to do it for free because I'm going to be, 
Oh gosh, I'm gonna. It's gonna take me time in order to manage it. I don't have moderators and stuff of that nature, and I don't know. So I also don't know exactly how I would go ahead and work the Discord channel. I don't know a hundred percent how it works. So I'm, I'm doing some research into that, but you know, I thought it would be really great and to kind of start that private group. And you would it would only be like if you if you subscribe, that's the only way you'd get access to the group and stuff. And of course, I would be posting. Everything that I'm doing there, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's a podcast, I would be posting at least links in there so you guys could find it and stuff of that nature. And that way you would have a central hub of everything me, <laughs> you know, with regards to what I'm doing, right? And I thought that would be really, really cool. Not only would it give you guys the ability to have conversations with people that you'd be interested in talking to because they're interested in the same stuff, but also with regards to other things. And again, we we could also even make a topic for monarchy or, you know, anarcho-capitalism or whatever anyone's interested in talking about and whatnot. We could have different discussions going on there. Now, that said, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about doing that. And then I'm also thinking about doing a another podcast uh, where basically what I do is I come in and I read articles, just articles from the Mises Institute, from the Foundation of Economic Education, and the American Institute for Economic Research. And the main reason that I think that that would be valuable is because there's a lot of people out there that love this stuff. They love reading these articles. They love being informed about what's going on in the world. And they love just being informed from that libertarian Austrian economic kind of perspective, right? The problem is most people don't have the time to read all of the articles that are coming out. Most people don't have the time to do that, or at least they don't think they do. See, in reality, they really do have the time. The thing is, is just that they're in their most, a lot of that time is being spent in their car on their lunch break. They do have the time and they could easily read an article on their lunch break or they could easily, you know, well, you can't read an article when you're driving until we have self-driving cars. Um, that's not, or unless someone else is driving you, that's not really highly recommended, uh, <laughs> at all. But when it comes to that kind of stuff, you know, I think that something like this would be very valuable. Not only would I be centralizing all the information into one area, it would all be an audio file. So maybe, I mean, one article would be like maybe five, 10 minutes to listen to. And there'd be there. And, and I think that that would be very valuable. So you guys can listen to it on your car, on your drive to work, on your drive home. You can listen to it on your, on your lunch break and stuff. Now, Initially, I thought that what I would do is I would read this stuff off and I'd read it off of every single episode, like every single article that's posted. So I'm trying to cover every single article. Problem is when you're looking at three different publications, that's a lot. That can be well over 15 to 20. And fr frankly, I just don't know if I've got the time to do that. But what I will be doing is definitely I'll be, I would probably be reading off the most popular ones and whatnot. And I don't know. It's something I'm thinking about. It's not, it would, again, it would not be for free. Okay. It would definitely be something that I would want to do for a paid service. It wouldn't be that expensive. Okay. It would not be that maybe 10, 20 bucks a month, something like that. And you probably would also get access to the private group as well on top of that. So it would kind of be more of an added bonus, if you will. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do the first thing I need to do is I'm in talks. I'm talking right now to those institutions to see if it would be okay for me to do something of that nature. And, uh, we'll go from there. And then on top of that, 
there's also the just the, the whole question of if I even have time, right? I mean, I got so much stuff that I'm doing that it, I may not even have enough time to do it and I, you know, and whatnot. But I love reading these articles. It's something I very, very much genuinely love to do. And if I, if, hey, if you guys would get value out of it, then uh, it, that would be great. And I would definitely be interested in, in doing something of that nature. But hey, if you're interested in that, Okay, if you think you'd get value out of that where you really want to read all these articles and stuff, but you just don't have the time to, and I and you could easily binge listen to them and whatnot, then if that's something that you guys think that you'd get value out of and you'd be interested in subscribing or something of that nature, if so, again, hit me up at the email address. Again, Matthew at NewMillenniumWealth.com. I will put the link in the show notes page below. Hit me up there. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you'd be interested in with regards to that kind of a service if you think that that would be valuable to you. All right. That said, what I really wanted to talk about today is uh, now that we're done, you know, chatting about all that stuff, what I really, really, really wanted to talk about is the fact that what everyone is focusing on is wrong, okay? When, when you're hearing people talk about the election, when you're hearing people talk about politics, social politics, stuff like that, they're missing the point. They're missing the most important thing that really is going to threaten their, their liberties and their freedoms, yeah, I just listened to an article, a, a podcast the other day from the Wealth Power and Influence show with Jason Stapleton, and he was like saying, no, everyone is wrong. They're all focusing on the wrong stuff. And I'm like, yes, I totally agree. Everyone is wrong. They're all focusing on the wrong things. What everyone is focusing on is what's going to happen with the election. COVID-19, which is nothing that anybody needs to worry about, right? Or at least very I mean, the vast majority of people who get it, even with people who have comorbidities and are very, very old, still the vast majority of people do not die from this. Now, that, that not to say that to diminish the deaths that have happened. There have been many people who have died and lots of lives have been lost. And, and that's incredibly sad. And I don't want to diminish the lives that have been lost and the pain that those families are going through. But the fact of the matter is that when you actually look at the numbers, the vast majority of people, young or old, who are getting this do not die from this. It has a very low uh, fatality rate. It has, a high, um, it has a high infectious rate, according to the numbers, okay? And I think the numbers are falsified. I think the numbers are, are totally manipulated, twisted, and skewed. So I wouldn't trust the numbers at all. I think the fatality rate is, frankly, a lot lower. I think the infectious rate is, frankly, a lot lower. I don't think this thing's even worse than the flu. But right now, they're propping it up and everything. And, you know, so sooner or later, they're going to start killing the virus off. The viruses, they'll probably play it off. Maybe they'll, they'll turn it into another thing like the flu where you'll have to get the vaccine. So maybe there will be some reporting going on. But in terms of how serious it is, and lockdowns, they're going to kill all that off at some point. I thought that it was going to already hit, you know, before the election because they needed people to get out and vote. But so far that hasn't happened. But anyways, look, the real issues that people should be worried about, people shouldn't, and not digging your head in the sand, but people should be preparing for is that we are, is the economics of what's going on, the, the economy Okay, how many people are on the unemployment rolls right now? How many, how much money is being printed? What's being done with all this debt that we're accumulating? I'm in freaking A, ladies and gentlemen. The Federal Reserve is even talking about helicopter money. 
And you want, and people want to go out and bicker and argue about whether Biden or freaking Trump is going to get elected. This stuff is going to happen regardless of who gets elected. It won't matter who gets elected. This won't change because the course we are on, the path we are on is unchangeable. We can't get off it. If we do, the entire system implodes on itself. The entire, maybe implodes, maybe imploding is not the right correct term. The entire system collapse on itself, okay? It's not pleasant. We would see an economic destruction far greater than the Great Depression. The likes of which this country has never seen. That's the truth. Let me just give you guys some numbers real fast. You know, unemployment rate, right? What was the unemployment rate before all this happened? It was like 1.4 million people or something like that, right? Wasn't a lot of people. Now, the amount of people who are on the unemployment dole, it's like 20 million. It was at 40 million. But then, you know, ever since the, as the economy continued to open up, people went back to work and everything. And now we're at 20 million. So we've, you know, we've crawled back. We've recovered about half of it. You know, it, it makes sense that that would have happened because ultimately a lot of the people that were out of work were a lot of service oriented, you know, jobs or people that are in retail, hospitality, airliners, fast food and all that kind of stuff. And, and frankly, just when all this stuff hit, a lot of these companies had to make very tough decisions as, well, I don't need as many, you know, servers at the restaurant. A lot of restaurants were closed. So it makes sense. It really does that we would gain back more people in the working force as the economy starts to recover. But still 20 million, that's a massive number. That's a massive number. And frankly, that's huge. That's very concerning. And now they're talking about more lockdowns. If more lockdowns happen, I can guarantee you it's going to go up again. There's a lot right now. What needs to happen is deregulation. Daniel Lacalle, you know, the guy that the economist that I'm actually going to be reading from, I think he's actually from Spain. Uh, he's a Spaniard and whatnot, but <laughs> you know, uh, Daniel Lacalle, I, I, I hope I'm not butchering his last name. He's actually said that the response to a supply shock in China, because when they lock down, is not demand monetary policy Mon to try to incentivize demand. No, no, no. What you need to do is you need to deregulate. You need to get out of the way. That's what really needs to happen. Unfortunately, our government is incapable and unwilling, more unwilling than anything else to do that. But ladies and gentlemen, the, they're, the, the Federal Reserve's talking about helicopter money too. That's very scary. They're talking about literally creating an app that every single person can get involved in. Everybody would download, connect it to their bank accounts. And basically in this app, they would have what they call unemployment bonds, something, something to that nature. And when unemployment ticks up or some kind of metric passes over a, th a threshold, right? Some kind of line that they arbitrarily say, then what they would do is they would fund the bonds and inject the money straight into your account. Now, how is this different from how the Federal Reserve has been doing this stuff before? The Federal Reserve used to do it where it was quantitative easing. They would inject money into the stock market, okay? They would buy treasury bonds, treasury bills, right? The Federal Reserve would take, they would, the Federal Reserve doesn't actually have the legal authority to print money, so they actually don't. The treasury is the only one that does that. But the, tre but the treasury and the Federal Reserve actually work in tandem, 
together. They they're 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 uh, intermingled, right? They they constantly work together in order to manipulate the money supply. So what they do is they generally speaking, the Treasury Department would create you know bonds, bills, notes. Which by the way, if you don't know the difference. Basically, what a bond is, is that they're saying that basically, if you give us $30,000 for 30 years, we'll give you back 5%, right? And so it's kind of an investment. They want to use your money for 30 years, and uh, they'll give you some interest rate at the end of the 30 years. And a lot of times, I think they'll actually give you the interest rate every single year as well. So the idea is that you'll get a lot more money back at the end of the 30 years. But I mean, do you really think it's okay to give them that money at the 30 years? And how many bonds investors slash traders actually keep their bond, you know, invested in those bonds for 30 years. What do you think the number is? I can guarantee you it's not a lot. There's not a lot of people who just put their money in 30-year bonds and leave them there all the time. That's just not going to happen, right? If a if the bond market starts to tank because interest rates rise and now everybody wants the higher interest rates, so they're going to start selling their bonds for the higher interest rates. Now, they might hold in the event that interest rates continue to lower. That actually increases the value of pre-existing bonds that already have higher interest rates than what the lower ones would be. But that said, most people don't hold for the full 30 years. But that's what a bond is. A bond is effectively a form of debt, right, that the government wants to uh, basically borrow from you and they're going to pay you some interest rates. So it's a bit of an investment, right? Now, a bond is one that is... 10 plus years, okay? So anything, any kind of debt that the Treasury Department issues that's over 10 years in in time and length, that's considered a bond. Now, anything from one year to 10 years is considered a note, okay? Those are Treasury notes. So anything from one year up to 10 is considered a note. And then a, a bill, a Treasury bill is anything that's less than a year. Okay, so just some quick stuff there for you guys, and uh, they all have different interest rates. Generally speaking, the higher interest rates one are at the top. They're going to pay you the most money for the longest period of time, and anything. And as you get lower and lower, and lower on that on that time frame, you know you get less interest rates. Okay, and why is that? Do, do any of you know? I mean, seriously, the reason that it is is because the longer you hold something, the riskier it becomes. Therefore investors want more interest rates to offset that risk. Which is one of the reasons why I hate inve- uh, passive investing for 30 plus years. Because people don't think it's risky. People are constantly fed this narrative that's lie that it's not risky. That it's less risky than managing it yourself. Than in trading, things of that nature. Or even just active investing where you reevaluate your positions and then maybe rebalance your own portfolio, things of that nature. There are people that think that it's okay to just dump money into a 401k and never look at it again. I hope that's not you. How can you possibly think this is your retirement? They always say never risk money that you can afford to lose, and yet you risk money in the stock market? The bond market? You you and you and and what makes it even more mind-boggling is you don't even look at it. You only look at it when your account's doing well, but when your account's not, you don't even look at it. Basically, it's just passive investing. You don't even know what you're in. Sure, you probably get a statement that says you're in some kind of industries and things of that nature, but really? That's it? You don't know what stocks you're actually in? You don't know what funds you're actually in? Are you in an exchange-traded fund? You in a mutual fund? 
You in some bonds? What? Where is your money? How is it being used? You know, that's not really the main point of this episode, but ladies and gentlemen, no one cares more about your money and your success than you do. Yeah, you got friends and family that they they care about you, but in the end, you care more about your money that you earned than anyone else, even friends and family, okay? It's not to say that friends and family don't love you. It's not to say they don't care about you. It's not to say they're not interested in your life and and, and what's going on in your life, but you are the only one that cares more about your money than anybody else. Your financial advisor doesn't care about your money more than you do, okay? They're just being taught. They're just doing what they were taught to do, but who's to say what they were taught to do was even the correct thing? What if their mentality about it was wrong? The fact of the matter is if you're if you're passively investing, you are taking on a massive amount of risk. A massive amount of risk. Which is why when it comes to long-term investments like the treasury bonds, they pay you more interest rate because it's riskier. Anyways, uh, I'm off my soapbox there. Okay, look. The main point that I guess I was really trying to make, ladies and gentlemen, is that the Federal Reserve has been propping up these markets. The Federal Reserve has been, when it was, when it was quantitative easing, the Federal Reserve was, was acting like a proxy. They'd give money to other financial institutions, and those financial institutions would inject that money into the stock market, right? The, uh, another way that they would do it is, again, the Treasury would create its bonds, its bills, its notes, and then the Federal Reserve would take those forms of debt onto its balance sheet, effectively buying and increasing the monetary supply. So they were doing all this kind of stuff. They were, they were taking on the balance sheet of all these assets from the Treasury Department, and then they were working in a proxy with other financial institutions in order to inject money into the stock market and the bond market. Now, I know that this is, I'm oversimplifying the process, okay? I'm aware of that. It's, it gets much more complicated and convoluted than that. And uh, I'm not even sure I fully 100% understand exactly how it's all working in the fine, minute details and whatnot. But what I am saying is that this is how they used to do it. And it caused inflation, right? It caused asset prices to rise. It did. It caused it to rise on the real estate market. Companies engaged in stock buybacks, right? This is what it would always do. This is, I mean, so the, in terms of monetary devaluation, that's uh, what I like to classify. Everyone thinks of inflation as, you know, asset prices rising or, or just prices rising in general. That's not inflation. That's just a byproduct of inflation. That's monetary devaluation. Okay. Inflation is the increase in monetary supply. So the amount of money that's out there, they're just increasing it more and more and more. And it's usually through credit, right? Banks are pretty probably the the worst perpetrators of this. They're they're the biggest cause of this. They just lend out all kinds of money that they don't even have. That effectively is more or less creating money out of thin air. And it's all digital, right? So, anyways. That said, that that's how they were causing prices to rise, asset valuations to rise, and things of that nature. They were doing it through the stock market, and it would slowly leak out because that money would eventually work its way down to the employees, and, and which is everyday people. Now, by the time the money reached to them, the damage has already been, uh, had already happened. 
by the time you and I get it, it's too late. It's just not valuable anymore, right? And unless you're the first person that gets the money or you're one of the earlier people who get the money, it really doesn't benefit you to get the more money because by the time you get more money, it just, all the, the asset prices, everything else around you has already gone up in value, which is why in most cases, wages lag inflation. What, the, what does that mean? It means that inflation is happening right? The whole process is happening with the money creation and then the circulation of that money into the economy, which then causes a, you know, monetary devaluation and it causes the, the, the value of the dollar to fall and the prices of things to rise. That whole process was happening before wages go up. That whole process almost always happens before wages rise. Wages always lag behind the process of inflation. Okay. So, and this is, this is one of the reasons why minimum wage laws and stuff are going to be around for, for indefinitely. And this is one of the reasons why they're going to happen because as life becomes more expensive, people start to demand more money. People get tired of the idea that wages don't seem to rise as quickly as inflation does. So you know what? They want to shortcut the process. They want to go to them and they want to demand that their wages increase. Well, well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? A, that's going to make more people unemployed, but B, that's going to, in effect, cause, well, it's going to cause more problems, right? Not only is it going to cause more people to be unemployed, because businesses won't just be able to, they're not just going to be able to hire, you know, keep all those employed people. It's going to cause higher unemployment, but it will benefit the people initially, but eventually the inflation is going to outstrip their increase in their, their, their wages. Now I would probably even say that even with a 15 or $20 minimum wage in some areas, inflation has already stripped out that amount of wage. That wage is still behind inflation in some areas. Okay. Now again, when we, when we talk about inflation, when you create money, you eject, you circulate it into the economy. In order for it to have any effect, it has to be circulated. But prices do not rise everywhere, all at the same time and in the, in the same, with the same amount of force and velocity. They don't rise evenly across the entire economy. Some products will rise faster than others. It all depends on, on the preferences of the people and where that money gets spent and where it goes into, right? I mean, if you looked at the stock market today, the bond market today, if you looked at the real estate market today, those are massive bubbles and they have the money in those markets have been, has been heavily devalued. Okay. The money has that's in those markets, right? Has been heavily, heavily devalued with regards to, oh, I don't know, maybe the, the market for milk or the market for, for turkey, beef, chicken, whatever. And if you look at it in other places, the costs of those products, turkey, beef, pork, chicken, it's different uh, in different areas of the country. Some of this is due to regulatory burden. Some of this is due to the expense of getting the product there. And some of it is due to inflation and where the money has gone. Okay. So just to keep that in mind, but anyways, ladies and gentlemen, so now that you kind of have a background of how it's been done, it's been done where money has been created. It's been injected in the stock market, the bond market, and then the money has been for lack of a better term, trickling down into everybody else's pockets where by that point it's already been heavily devalued. Now, what 
are they talking about now? We've talked about this in the past. Again, go back and listen to the episode where the Federal Reserve has made inflation easier than it's ever been, or I think was the title. But basically, they're talking about injecting money directly into the bank accounts of the of everyday people. What is that going to do? Well, we can look at people's savings accounts to figure this out. Savings account rates are at all, for a long time, have been at all-time lows. Now, ever since the whole pandemic and COVID-19, it has caused people to spend less of their money. They call this austerity. They've been spending less money, right? And as a result, people's savings accounts have been rising, but it's not enough. The fact of the matter is that the vast majority of people don't save money. The vast majority of people spend every dime that they make. Maybe you got some people in there who save some money, but most people don't save money at all. They spend every dime that they make. And if they're going to specifically be targeting the poor, if they're going to be targeting people who actually, you know, people, the, the, the lower class, I guess you would say, you know, not the middle class, the lower class, if you, if they're going to be targeting people that are, that, that are in that bracket, that money gets spent almost immediately. And if they start to do that, they're going to be directly injecting money into the economy at a rate we've never seen before. It's going to cause massive monetary devaluation. Just massive amounts of, of, of money is going to go everywhere. It's mostly going to go into the items that those people buy. What do you think those people buy? They spend it on bills, their rent, their mortgage. Odds are they got a car loan. They're going to be spending it on the, on the loans for their cars. They're going to be spending it on any kind of utility bills, any kind of, uh, let's say, maybe subscription that they have, insurance. They're going to be spending it on things like the grocery store. It's going to cause inflation to rise at a very, very, very high rate, ladies and gentlemen. It really is. It's not going to be pleasant. So anyways, we're coming to the end of the show. I really wanted to read this article here that kind of explains, you know, what's going on with regards to inflation and things of that nature. And I just thought it was a really great article. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. This has been posted uh, on the 16th. So yesterday by Daniel LaCalle at the Mises Institute. So Mises.org. So if you want to check it out, I'll post it in the show notes page below. So you could go ahead and have the information and you can read it for yourself if you want. It's a, it's a pretty fast read. So here we go. Central banks continue to be obsessed with inflation. Current monetary policy is like the behavior of a reckless driver running at 200 miles per hour, looking at the rearview mirror and thinking, we haven't crashed yet, so let's accelerate. Central banks believe that there is no risk in current monetary policy based on two wrong ideas. Number one, that there is no inflation, according to them. And number two, that the benefits outstrip the risks. The idea that there is no inflation is untrue. There's plenty of inflation in the goods and services that consumers really demand and use. Official CPI, which is also known as the Consumer Price Index, is artificially kept low by oil, tourism, and technology, disguising rises in healthcare, rent and housing, education, insurance, and fresh food that are significantly higher than nominal wages and the official CPI indicate. Furthermore, in countries with aggressive taxation of energy, the negative impact on CPI of oil and gas prices is not seen at all in consumers' real electricity and gas bills. A recent study of Alberto Cavallo shows how official inflation is not reflecting the changes in consumption patterns and concludes that real inflation is more than double the official level in the COVID-19 era average basket 
And also, according to an article by James McIntosh in the Wall Street Journal, prices are rising to up to three times the rate of official CPI for things people need in the pandemic if the overall inflation number remains subdued. Official statistics assume a basket that comes down due to replicable goods and services that we purchase from time to time. As such, technology, hospitality, and leisure prices fall. But things we acquire on a daily basis and that we cannot simply stop buying are rising much faster than nominal and real wages. Central banks will often say that these price increases are not due to monetary policy but market forces. However, it is precisely monetary policy that strains market forces by pushing rates lower and money supply higher. Monetary policy makes it harder for the least privileged to live day by day and increasingly difficult for the middle class to save and purchase assets that rise due to expansionary monetary policies such as houses and bonds. Inflation may not show up on news headlines, but consumers feel it. The general public has seen a constant increase in the price of education, healthcare, insurance, and utility services in a period where central banks felt obliged to combat deflation. A deflationary risk that no consumer has seen, least of all the lower and middle class. So what is deflation? Deflation is basically where prices fall, okay? Deflation is really a decrease in the monetary supply. So less money gets circulated into the economy. Therefore, that basically means people aren't spending the money, right? Demand has ultimately dropped. Uh, businesses aren't reinvesting in businesses anymore. You got people that aren't spending the money. They're saving more. People aren't lending money. People aren't borrowing any money anymore or not as much as they were before. So all of that demand basically starts to dry up to a certain extent. It's never, never going to go away completely, but it dries up. And as a result, it causes businesses to have to lower their prices. It causes everyone to have to lower prices to try to entice people to start buying again. That's what a deflationary cycle is. That's what deflation is. A decrease in the monetary supply. And again, prices do not inflate or deflate, right? Inflation is basically expansion and deflation is basically contraction. You know, it has to more to do with the supply of the thing, not necessarily the price. Prices don't expand and contract, prices rise and fall. It's much more than a semantics argument. A lot of people think it's all about semantics, just a word argument. Oh, you're just using a different word. No, 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 no. It's much, much, much more than that. You see, if they can get you to believe that inflation is merely the increase of prices, then you don't know what causes the inflation because they changed the definition. The inflation was the increase in monetary supply. Well, who increases the monetary supply? The Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department. The government, the government, right? That's who increases the monetary supply. We know exactly who to point our finger to when things are getting tough to, and life is getting hard and more expensive. But you see, when they start to blame, when they change the definition to make you think that it's prices, well, then they can blame businesses. They can blame the greedy corporations, greedy people like that. How dare they rise prices on you? Let's regulate them. So it, it has far-reaching consequences when you start to think that inflation and deflation has to do with prices. Inflation and deflation has to do with the, the supply of money that's in the economy. That's it. That's all it is. Anyways, that said, that is what deflation is. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and finish this article out. It is not a coincidence that the European Central Bank constantly worries about low inflation while protests on the rising costs of living spread all around the Eurozone. 
Official inflation measures are simply not reflecting the difficulties and loss of purchasing power of salaries and savings of the middle class. Therefore, inflationary policies do create a double risk. First, a dramatic increase in inequality as the poor are left behind by the asset price increases and the wealth effect, but feel the rise in core goods and services more than anyone. Second, because it's untrue that salaries will increase alongside inflation. We have seen real wages stagnate due to poor productivity growth and overcapacity while unemployment rates were low, keeping wages significantly below the rise of essential services. Central banks should also be concerned about the rising dependence of bond and equity markets on the next liquidity injection and rate cut. If I were the chairperson of a central bank, I would be truly concerned if markets reacted aggressively on my announcements. It would be a worrying sign of codependence and risk of bubbles. When sovereign states with massive deficits and weakening finances have the lowest bond yields in history, it is not a success of the central bank. It is a failure. Inflation is not a social policy it disproportionately benefits the first recipient of newly created money, government and asset-heavy sectors, and harms the purchasing power of salaries and savings of the low and middle class. Expansionary monetary policy is a massive transfer of wealth from savers to borrowers. Furthermore, these evident negative side effects are not solved by the so-called quantitative easing for the people. A bad monetary policy is not solved by a worse one. Injecting liquidity directly to finance government entitlement programs and spending is the recipe for stagnation and poverty. It is not a coincidence that those that have implemented the recommendations of modern monetary policy wholeheartedly, Argentina, Turkey, Iran, Venezuela, and others, have seen increases in poverty, weaker growth, worse real wages, and destruction of the currency. Believing that prices must rise at any cost because, if not, consumers may postpone their purchasing decisions is generally ridiculous in the vast majority of purchasing decisions. It is blatantly false in a pandemic crisis. The fact that prices are rising in a pandemic crisis is not a success. It is a miserable failure and hurts every consumer who has seen revenues collapse by 10 or 20%. Central banks need to start thinking about the negative consequences of the massive bond bubble they have created and the rising cost of living for the low and middle classes before it is too late. Many will say that it will never happen, but acting on that belief is exactly the same as the example I gave at the beginning of the article. We haven't crashed yet. Let's accelerate. Reckless and dangerous. Inflation is not a social policy. It is daylight robbery. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. The beautiful, absolutely beautiful article. One of the reasons I love Daniel Lacal so much is absolutely he he writes in such a, a a great way, and he describes things really well. And yeah, you know, I mean he's really great. Not only is he a PhD economist, but he's also a fund manager, and he also has an investing firm too. Just really, really good stuff. He really is absolutely amazing. If you guys are interested, go check out his website. I'll post a link in the description below. I believe it's dlacal.com. Again, I'll go ahead and I'll place his website URL in the show notes page, basically right below the actual article that we just read. But ladies and gentlemen, that's the real issues that's going on in our world today. Massive monetary policy, tons of spending, inflation, monetary devaluation, your savings and your investments being eroded away. You know, at some, you know, right now, a lot of people who have money in the stock market, the people who are wealthy enough to have that, they love the policy, the monetary policy of the Federal Reserve because it makes them richer. It makes them wealthier. 
But there will be a point in time, ladies and gentlemen, if we continue down this path, the inflationary rate, the money supply growth rate, okay, is going to increase at such an alarming rate where prices are going to rise far faster than the investments, than the assets. And no one will be able to afford any of it because those assets are going to rise so quickly and so so aggressively. No one will ha be able to invest in real estate. No one will be able to invest in any kind of stocks. You want an example of this? Look no further than Venezuela. Ladies and gentlemen, Venezuela is has experienced hyperinflation where basically they have printed so much money injected so much of it into this into the country's economy that more or less prices have rised so quickly no one can even afford it back in the Weimar Republic where there are stories of how people would go in to get a burger and by the time they were done eating the burger would rise again the price of it would. The prices would rise so, so, so much that by the time you bought an item, the prices were already rising. People had to bring wheelbarrows of money in just to be able to pay for things. Ladies and gentlemen, how insane is that? Can you even imagine that happening in the 21st century? You know, in the Weimar Republic, the, the money became so worthless, they, they just started to burn it for heat just to stay warm. In Venezuela is a bit more of a, a modern example of it. But when we look at Venezuela, ladies and gentlemen, just, I mean, look at them. People didn't bring in money in barrels. Just items just went off the shelf. There wasn't anything to buy. Suppliers started pulling out of the country. Asset prices started to rise, or just, you know, products and services started to rise so fast, nobody could afford anything. Your only hope was to basically cross the border to Colombia and there were government thugs and all kinds of people who were trying to prevent you from doing that at, the, at certain border crossings and stuff. It's a terrible situation. But this is what happens when your financial system collapsed because you abused the money that you created. You know, having money in a medium of exchange actually creates a lot of economic growth when it's handled well. It allows people to all operate off the same currency off of the same medium of exchange and it allows a lot of growth it allows the ease of business to be to be more or less conducted upon but when you start taking that away and you start abusing it and you start destroying it you, you treat it like a toy like a spoiled brat who has too many toys and destroys every single toy that they have they have so many toys they, they don't appreciate them they didn't buy them they, they didn't spend blood sweat and tears to acquire the money to purchase them they don't care and, you, and they're getting toys all the flipping time. So what do they care if they destroy one toy or two? They abuse it. They destroy it. They have no respect for it. This is how our government handles the money. They handle our money like a spoiled child handles a toy. It's true. It's unfortunate, but it's true. So, you know, uh, since we're at the end of the show, I'm not going to do any affiliate programs. All right, uh, we're already 
way over time. I'll post the affiliate program links in the description below if you want to check them out. We got a lot of different great stuff there. But, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Trading View, Tier 1 Trading, Money Metals Exchange, you get a free silver coin. If you go to Money Metals Exchange, mention my name when you buy something. You got to be a new customer, mind you, in order to get that. But that, that's great too. Uh, you know, Skillshare, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I'll post it all in the, in the description below. There's a lot of really great goodies there for you guys. It's, it's great stuff. You should be increasing your human capital and whatnot, especially in this time. But there you go. There's my pitch <laughs> uh, for all of that stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, what can we do to avoid this? Well, first and foremost, there's no avoiding it. It's going to happen and it's going to affect everyone on a global scale. All right. And in any Western first world country, this is pretty much is what hap is happening. You know, you could go to a European nation, maybe like Liechtenstein, who, you know, basically they're very, very free market oriented, but Liechtenstein doesn't have access to its own currency. It's using the euro. You go to Monaco, again, another really great place where a lot of wealth has, has been occurring. A lot of oil money from the Middle East has flowed into Monaco. It's on the French Riviera, actually absolutely gorgeous little tiny micronation, say, uh, constitutional monarchy, I believe. They don't tax your wealth. If you declare them as your permanent form of residence, they don't tax any money that you make in Monaco. Now, granted, there are they have a value-added tax and things of that nature, and things are expensive there because of all the money that's been flowing into there. You know, that said, though, ladies and gentlemen, Monaco uses the euro. You know, the only real place that I think that you have access to if you want to try to escape the United States is you could consider going to a third-world country where a lot of the stuff hasn't really hit them. But here's the thing. Even there, those third world countries have manufacturing industries that basically supply goods and services to the Western first world countries. If they stop buying, it's going to cause a lot of issues. Now, there's already a lot of poverty in those countries, so it'll increase the poverty even more so. But no one is going to get out of this unscathed. Now, I don't say that to make you fearful. I don't say that to freak you out because... There are things that we can do to mitigate the damage and to uh, insulate ourselves and our families from the stuff that's happening. There are. But just know that no matter where you live, there's going to be issues, right? There's going to have, it's going to touch and burn everything. It's not going to be the end of the world, okay? But the world is going to have a hard time. How you insulate yourself is you need to increase your skills. You need to invest in assets that are going to rise with the inflation. So precious metals are, is a great way. If you don't have a lot of money, silver is great. You can easily do that. I'm doing that. I'm buying a lot of silver. I want to get into cryptocurrencies. Real estate, if you have the money for it, you know, uh, <laughs> I've heard it said by one of my mentors that uh, God's not making any more real estate anytime soon, any more land. Well, well actually, that's not actually true. Uh, there are volcanic, there's a volcanic activity happening all around the world. Okay. And, uh, there are volcanoes that are spewing up new earth all the time, but granted, you know, it's such a slow pace. Yeah. It, it, I understand this. I understand the saying, but the fact of the matter is ladies and gentlemen, you know, invest in assets that are going to rise. Milton Friedman basically said it the best. The only response to high inflation is high living. Investing in, and what he meant by that was investing in things that are going to rise with inflation. Okay, if you think that you're going to be living during the financial crisis, during the collapse of the financial system itself, then you would not be 
completely insane to go off and buy cigarettes and canned goods because those things will probably rise with inflation. Things that have a very long life, shelf life, and things that actually have tangibility that, that people need, right? That would, something that you can exchange. You could do precious metals as well. Again, if, you, if, you're, if you're not thinking of the whole prepper end of society type of thing, you could do precious metals, cryptocurrency, real estate stocks. Sure, you, you could probably engage and buy some stocks and stuff like that, you know, although that's paper assets and I don't think that should be the only thing that you're engaging in. The fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, is that there are things that we can do. Investing in assets that are going to rise with, that they're going to rise in value. I prefer physical, physical, tangible assets. I'm increasing my silver portfolio all the time. It's not a recommendation. It's just something that I'm doing, right? And then on top of that, you, like I said, you got, you got cryptocurrency, but you know, that's on the asset side, how, how you protect your wealth. Um, you can have your, you should, you should look to having your money being put in bank accounts that are more solvent, that uh, are not going to go under. Uh, you should certainly look for offshore bank accounts if you can. That would be a great way. If you're stuck in the in the United States, uh, you know, credit unions, uh, credit unions are, are smaller and therefore don't engage in anywhere near as much lending as the big massive banks like, well, I don't, I don't want to go name names, but you know who I'm talking about. So, uh, but not all credit unions are made equal. So again, you still want to look at the solvency of those, of those credit unions and things of that nature. Generally speaking, the smaller, the better. So like you want to look at your know, credit unions that only service certain types of people. So, uh, you know, in Texas, there are the credit union of Texas, there's Texans credit union. Uh, I know, I don't know about credit union of Texas, but I know that the Texans credit union, I know for a fact, because I've got family members who use them, you know, they only you know, will serve people who live in Texas or have lived in Texas. If I go live somewhere else, I could, and theoretically, if I was to open a bank account with them, I could still, in effect, still use their services. But you have to have lived in Texas at one point. That's a lot less people than, say, your big banks that go off and service anybody. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not recommending Texans Credit Union. Okay, I'm not recommending that you even go do any of this stuff. Consult a licensed individual. But this is something that you can do. Invest in assets that are going to rise with inflation. Put your money in bank accounts, in banks that are uh, more solvent. This is something you could do, something that I'm looking into doing. And then the, probably the most important thing of all is to ultimately control the source of your income. You need to not be dependent on somebody else. If you are employed by somebody else, think of it this way. You are a service provider. You provide a service to customers, but when you're working for a corporation, you're only providing your services to one customer, the company, the corporation, the skills that you have, you are providing it to one customer. And with that said, if that customer stops buying your services, guess what? You are screwed. So what you need to do is you need to create an avenue, you need to create a brand, you need to create a business where you can provide your services to more people and increase the number of customers that you have. Eventually, your the amount of money that you're making, hopefully, will outpace the money that you're making with that one big customer, your company that you're working for. And then you can, in effect, if you want to, stop you know, basically serving that customer because you've got like 5,000 more. 
and you're making millions of dollars and you're more than happy with it. Ladies and gentlemen, we all need to control the source of our income and there are tons of ways that you can do that. Blogging, vlogging with YouTube or just any video platform. You know, you got, uh, you know, podcasting, trading. If you got a lot of money, investing, you can live off your investments if that's something you want to do. If, they, if you got enough, most people don't, but if you have it, that's it's an option. And that's just the name of few. But the fact of the matter, but the fact of the matter is, controlling the source of your income is absolutely what's going to be necessary for you to, in effect, survive what's coming down the line. And I don't know if you and I are going to live through it. I have no idea. I don't know if it's something our children are going to live through. But you're never going to be worse off by making these changes to your life. You're never going to be worse off. It's going to benefit you greatly, whether we live through this stuff or not. It's going to benefit you. Okay. So ladies and gentlemen, you need to find a way to do that. Whatever that is. All right. Heck, I'm, you know, I'm with you on this journey. You, you are on, when you're here, you are joining me on my journey. Not only are you getting my opinion on things that are going, that are happening in our world today, but you're also joining me with regards to this journey. We are on the journey together. I'm not making enough money to live off of. Okay. I'm still very much in the infancy and the starting of this. So I'm not a lot of those gurus out there who have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. I'm still learning. Everything that I'm teaching you guys are things that I'm looking into, things that I have already done. Maybe I haven't done. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I've just done a lot of research into it, right? Things that I'm talking about, I'm talking about my journey here so that you guys can learn with me and we can all become financially free together. That's the idea. So ladies and gentlemen, think of ways that you guys can take control of the source of your income. If you don't have any skills that you think that are going to be interesting, then okay, then uh, then you need to go learn some new skills. You know, uh, learn trading if it's something you're interested in. Maybe go to Skillshare. You can learn photography, all kinds of stuff there, right? I've used it for email marketing. I've used it for YouTube ads. I've used it for website design. They've got coding stuff on there that that are that, that I want to take. They've got trading stuff on there too. I, I haven't taken any of the trading courses, but I know they got trading stuff on there with regards to Forex, stocks, options, futures, I think too. They got a whole host of stuff. They got how to fly drones. Ladies and gentlemen, they've got tons of stuff. If you don't have any skill, then you need to go learn some new skills. I'm learning a new skill. I'm con continuing my, my education in, in Forex trading. I'm learning how to trade the Forex market. I'm learning investments, right? I'm learning how to do a podcast, how to have a website. I'm doing a ton of stuff, ladies and gentlemen. You know, how to market. Fact of the matter is, is I'm doing a ton of stuff here. And I would encourage that you get started on your journey too. Because I don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow, next year, year after that. This big massive collapse and people talk about, I don't know when it's going to happen. But it is going to happen. I hope and I pray it doesn't happen in our lifetime. But you know what? You never know. You never know. So best to be prepared for the worst. I've heard it said that it's it's always best to have it and not need it than need it and not have it, right? So it's always best to plan for the worst, hope for the best. But you plan for the worst. Planning is starts with education and then action. Education alone is worthless, Okay. Action coupled with education makes you dangerous. And that's a good thing. 
So, all right, that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be the end of the show. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and I, I certainly did. I thought it was a good episode. I do apologize if I jumped around a lot, but hey, make sure to message me if you're investing in Bitcoin, if you got some exchanges or whatever that you're using that you want to tell me that you love and whatnot, please message me at Matthew at NewMillenniumWealth.com. And I'll put the link in the description below and also, uh, you know, message me with regards to the service I'm thinking about providing with regards to, uh, reading, just only reading, not giving my personal opinions at all, just reading articles from different publications like the Mises Institute, fee.org or um, the American Institute for Economic Research. Those are going to be the top three. I might read other stuff from like maybe zero hedge or something of that nature, but for the most part, that'll be stuff and it'll be things, highlights and stuff. I don't think I'm going to be able to read everything. So it's going to be like highlights and stuff, economic, po political stuff. If you're interested in that, if you don't, if you want to read more articles, you don't have a lot of time, let me do it for you. Let me create an audio file so you can listen to it on your way to work, on your lunch break, whatever. If you're interested in that type of stuff, then let me know if that's something you're interested in. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. I, I love you guys, each and every one of you. Thank you so much. I very much appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to spend it with me. It's a huge compliment to me. That being said, if you like the show, make sure to like, make sure to subscribe, follow, regardless of whatever platform you're on. And if you're really getting a lot of value out of it, don't be selfish. Share it with a friend. Make sure to hit that share button. Get this message out there of financial freedom. You know, people need to know about this message because ultimately it's very, very empowering. It, will, it empowers me. I'm hoping that it will empower you as well. If it does, make sure to share it. Hit the share button. Share it with a friend. Share it with a family member. And on top of that, if you really, really love what I'm doing here, then consider giving a donation to the show. Help me to spread this message of financial freedom to as many people as we can get to listen to. And help me to come in here and ultimately provide this great value and content for you guys on a weekly basis. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that said, if you will do all of that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.